Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say all of those gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service, invite all of you, if you would, to uh, turn to Mark chapter 6. Uh, Mark chapter 6. This morning, uh, we continue in our series, All Sides of the Savior. Uh, we've been talking about over the last few weeks as we're looking at the person of Jesus, that the reason why we're doing this is because we need to know the person of Jesus so that our relationship with him will be more personal. Uh, because that's what Christianity is all about. It's to have a personal relationship uh, with Christ. And so uh, we're looking in the Gospels specifically uh, at his life. And I want you to know that this is not something that we just say or it's just kind of a tagline. Um, this is what uh, the goal of this is. Uh, and and it, it really blessed me this week when I received the following email. It said, Pastor, as I'm writing, I'm overflowing with praise to God. This series is what I needed desperately, and I didn't even know it. I'm incredibly busy, work full-time, take college courses. It's rare that I have moments just to myself or even with God. In the last several months, I've slipped in reading my Bible and spending time in prayer. I, I didn't even realize I was doing it at first. It's a slow fade. I felt so overcome by guilt, I, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was no longer good enough for God. I felt I didn't even know him anymore, that he wouldn't listen to me. I felt lost and alone, certain our relationship would be very difficult to repair. But hearing that Jesus was fully God, but also fully human, opened my eyes. It made me feel something I haven't felt in a very long time, hope. For the first time, I genuinely felt he understood everything I was going through. I wanted to speed home, spill my heart to God, and relish in the fact that he understands what this tired, worn-out human is going through. I felt his overwhelming and all-consuming love. Now, he didn't say that it was good to stop doing devotions, just that he loved me. I wanted to let you know that God has brought a smile to a tired face and hope to a searching heart. I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior from all sides. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what this is all about. That's what it's all about. Thank you for the cautious clapping. Um, <laughs> Should I get really excited? I'm not really sure, right? <laughs> the truth is, we're not just talking about this. As you begin to see Jesus in the scriptures, uh, affections are stirred. Life is renewed. And, th and that's what I'm praying for you and what's happening in our life as we look at our Savior. Are you ready this morning for Mark chapter 6 as we look at another side of our Savior. Look here in Mark 6 and verse 30. If you're able to stand in all of our locations, please do so just as a way of honoring the reading of God's Word. Mark 6, beginning at verse 30, says, The apostles turned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They said to, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away. Uh, in a boat 
to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and, and, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000. Men, this is God's word. Will you pray for me? Will you pray with me? Let's ask God to come speak to us. We are so thankful, God, for this opportunity to be together. What a gift of grace. Just in your word, you could have remained hidden, but you revealed yourself. You have allowed yourself to be known, and I, I, I pray that we would be here this morning to say, I want to know you. I want this moment to be real. And so, God, I pray that by your spirit, you would come in this place and that you would draw us to Jesus. May we see him in all his beauty and all his personhood, that we might know him more and love him more. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Please be seated. You may remember the old fable. It was turned into an Oscar-winning film about what took place one day in a small, poor fishing village on the coast of Denmark. There was a leader in the town. This leader was the leader of a very strict religious group. Uh, they, they wore only black. Uh, their diet consisted only of, of boiled cod and, and gruel. Uh, they, they weren't allowed to have any kind of pleasure at all. They would gather together on their Sabbath. They would sing their hymns. They would uh, read some passages of scripture and they would think about heaven. It was very serious and very strict. This man, this leader had two daughters Uh, One was named uh, Martine, named after Martin Luther. The other, Philippa, named after Philip Melanchthon. Uh, They they were beautiful women, but they were very protected, never allowed to experience much of life, never allowed to go to a ball, never allowed to go to a party, weren't allowed to have very many relationships. Their life was restricted basically to home and to church. There was the occasion when Martine would fall in love with a military officer, but then he would leave to go off to war. Philippa was pursued by a famous opera singer because of her beautiful voice, but she would push him away. And both of these women would live very lonely lives. Fifteen years pass. 
The group that they've been a part of, it's become smaller, it's become even more strict, and it's beginning to split. There's two longtime friends that won't even speak to each other anymore. There's a marriage in the group that is falling apart. Martine and Philippa are still very, very lonely. They still get together and sing their songs, but it's dry, it's, it's empty, it's stale. And then one day there's a knock on the door. There's a woman on the doorstep with a note. Her name is Babette. She was sent there from uh, the opera singer that Philippa had met. Uh, uh, She lived in Paris, Babette did, and her husband had died, her son had died. She had nothing, and so she was sent there thinking that maybe they would show her some hospitality. She didn't have anything, but she could cook, and so the daughters agreed to let her live there. She served the family for many years and never asked anything in return. One day she receives a letter informing her that she has won a lottery, 10,000 francs, enough for her to be able to return home to Paris. But she's not sure if she wants to. She's been hearing the daughters talk about some celebration they want to have for the 100th year anniversary of this group. She approaches the daughters and she asks if she could cook a meal for this particular celebration. They say, no, 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 you don't need to go to all that trouble. She says, I haven't asked you for anything the entire time I have lived with you. Please let me do this. They agreed. Soon after, boats started showing up out of nowhere on this village And it was bringing exotic things, champagne, meats, vegetables, truffles. They wondered, what in the world is Babette up to? But they didn't say anything. Finally, the day of the celebration came, and this group walked into a feast fit for a king. There was wine, expensive wine, duck, roasted pig, cheeses, fruits, chocolate. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. All they had ever experienced was boiled cod and gruel. And as they began to eat, they didn't just open up their mouths. They opened up their lives. And by the time the meal was over, the two friends that weren't speaking were reconciled. The couple that was falling apart were reunited. Faces that hadn't smiled in a really long time began to laugh. Loneliness was lifted from that place. And they experienced that day something they had not experienced in a very long time. Satisfaction. And they found it in a meal. That little village was never the same after that day. And when the meal was over, the two daughters came up to Babette and said, Thank you. And by the way, have you decided whether or not you're going to go back home? And she said, I'm not going home. Because I spent everything I had on that meal. 
I love that story. There's a lot of reasons why I love that story. But one of the reasons why I love that story is because it's such a beautiful example of the kind of real impact extravagant generosity can have. The kind of impact on a life that generosity can bring. And there's something about that faith family that just resonates with us. For instance, Liz Jensen's story. She hardly had enough money to get a wedding dress. And when she showed up to get her dress one day, she discovered that a stranger had paid for it. Somebody that she didn't even know. She said that kind of stuff happens at a McDonald's drive-thru, not a wedding dress. Or what about James Robertson from Detroit, a 56-year-old man? He walked 21 miles a day, took two bus rides just to get to his $10.55 an hour job. It left him with very little time at night to sleep. Somebody found out about this and they bought him a brand new car. Faith family, as of today, I am walking to church, okay? (laughs) Just let that be known, okay? Beth Hughes, a stay-at-home mom from Oklahoma, she was about to pay for her Thanksgiving groceries and a, a customer she didn't even know stepped in front of her and swiped their card before she could swipe hers. Or Edgar and Angela Valesquez, a family that lives in San Raimundo, Guatemala. They have a home today because there's a church in Minnesota called Berean that actually takes seriously making a difference in the world. I mean, come on, are you, are you like me and you just love hearing stories about extravagant generosity? The kind of stories where somebody goes the extra mile, they do the extra thing, they go above and beyond just to make a difference in somebody else's life. It feels so human. Could that be just an idea here. Could it be because we're created in the image of an extravagantly generous Savior? That is what we see here in Mark chapter 6. But in order for us to see the extravagance here of our Savior, we have to compare it against the context that's happening in the passage. Look in up verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, my guess is that most of you have heard this story before of Jesus feeding the multitude. You've heard it at vacation Bible school. You've heard it in Sunday school. You've heard sermons about this. Uh, And yet most of us, the image we kind of have in our mind about this story uh, is like this. It's Jesus at a picnic, you know, it's GQ Jesus, right? Looks like Fabio. Uh, You got all the people sitting around, they're orderly because that's how crowds behave. Uh, You got the little boy just so gladly giving away his lunch because that's how children respond when you take food from them. I mean, it's, it's all so pleasant. It's so Sunday school. It's so wrong. When you think of this story, stop thinking picnic and start thinking 
picketing. This is not a peaceful gathering for Bible study and banana bread. It's an uprising. This crowd wants a revolution. How do I know that? First of all, it takes place in Galilee, the headquarters of the zealot movement, the movement that absolutely couldn't stand Roman authority. They despised King Herod. Uh, They wanted to see him overthrown. And this zealot movement is growing. And now there's been meat thrown to the lions. They are fuming mad. And why are they fuming mad? Go back a few verses in this chapter because somebody that they love dearly just got beheaded. What's his name? John the Baptist. And who did he get beheaded by? Who gave the order to remove his head? King Herod. And so now they are saying, enough. This stuff's got to stop. And who better to overthrow King Herod than King Jesus? Have you seen his authority? Have you seen his miracles? Do you know what this man can do? Let's go get him and march him right straight to Herod and have him take Herod's head off. Look at what John records in this same story in John 6, verse 15. Perceiving they were about to come and make and take him by what? To make him... King Jesus withdrew again. This is a crowd ready for a revolution. You also know this in the verse that we just read, verse 34 in Mark, uh, Jesus sees them as sheep without a shepherd. That's a direct quote from Numbers 27 where Moses says this about Israel desiring for them a national leader. There's one more clue here, and that is that we're told there are 5,000 men. How many of you have heard that this probably means at least 10,000? Because if you add the women, probably 15,000 if you add the children. So it's really probably more like 15,000 or more. You've heard that, right? That's possible, but not likely. What is more likely is that this is a description of 5,000 men who are a part of a zealous political revolution. It is not, get this out of your mind, it is not a group of Jewish families out for a Sunday afternoon stroll that just happened to end up hungry. This is a crowd of men that have had enough and they are ready to take force, they are ready to conquer, they're ready to take over. That's the context here. And you have to see their anger before you're really going to see in full light the amazing side of our Savior. But there's another group here. It's not just the multitude. Look at the disciples, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and so they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Look, I jump down to verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I laugh because I tell you, I so resonate with these guys. They've just come back. Um, from doing the very ministry Jesus has sent them to do. And they are exhilarated and they are exhausted. 
I can't wait to tell you what we taught. I can't wait to tell you what we saw. Oh, Jesus, you're not going to believe what we experienced. It was incredible. And at the same time, oh, I'm tired. Can we just get away for a little bit? Can we find, you know, th- th- there's so many crowds. We can't even hardly eat. Can we just get away? You see, the multitudes want a revolution. The disciples just want some rest. But there is no rest to be had this day. It doesn't matter that you preached six services last weekend, Pastor Boy. You got to be ready to go this week. There is no rest at all. Oh, come on. Can't we just send them away? Have you ever felt that way? Be honest. Be honest. Is there, has there ever been a conversation or a situation that you just wanted to avoid because you were tired? Anybody? Then don't point, okay? All right. (laughs) How many of you, like as a parent, you finally got your child to sleep, finally got your baby to sleep? Oh, finally. It's been such a long day. And now it is time for you to rest, okay? It's time (laughs) to lay down and sleep. And just as soon as you get settled, the baby starts screaming again and you turn into crazy mom, right? (laughs) Enough, I can't handle this right now. He's your kid, not mine in this moment, okay? You ever felt that way? Or, Or that coworker comes to your cubicle and wants to have that conversation that you do not want to have? How many of you have ever been that way spiritually? Jesus, I'm just too tired to forgive right now. I'm too tired to prepare another message. I'm too tired to serve them in this moment. Can I just have some me time, God? Is that too much to ask? Listen. The problem is not the desire for rest. The problem is the dependence on self. Jesus is pro-rest. He wants them to rest. That's not the problem. The problem is they want to rest because they don't think they can do anymore. It's a dependency on self. And guess what? They're right. So Jesus is going to push them. Watch what he does. Verse 37. And Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. He pushes them. We want rest. Send them away. Let them feed themselves. You feed them. Which births sarcasm. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii, that is eight months of salary worth of bread, to give it to them to eat? Come on, Jesus, you know we can't do that. Do you remember what you said just a few verses ago in verse 8? He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Come on, we got no jobs we got no food. Our pets' heads are falling off, right, Jesus? We got, we got nothing here. What do you mean we're supposed to feed them? This is crazy. And then he pushes them even further. Verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. 
Now you should laugh at that. And the reason you should laugh at that is because that's not anywhere close to enough. Not even close, not even a little bit. What's, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Are you with me? Lakeville Sanctuary, are you with me? Here's what he's doing. Look at it on the screen. He's teaching them that you are most useful to Jesus when you admit you are useless without Jesus. He is pushing them. You are most useful to Jesus when you admit you are useless without Jesus. That your feeling of I can't is right. But you've got to learn he can. What I, what I love here is that Jesus doesn't say, are you serious? What a joke you guys are. Get out of here. Poof, baskets. That's not what he does. What he does is I know what you have is inadequate. I know what you have is not even close to enough. It's not even close, but guess what? I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to take whatever you have, and I'm going to do what only I can do. Elizabeth Elliot says this, if the only thing you have to offer God is a broken heart, then offer God a broken heart. Whatever it is that you have, he can take it and use it. Notice this also on the screen. Jesus wants you to rest. He wants you to rest. But he will make you restless until you learn you can do nothing apart from him. Amen? Oh, he wants you to rest. Oh, he really wants you to rest. But he will make you restless till you learn this lesson. Boy, don't I know it. I didn't know if I'd share this. I shared it last night, and I had enough people come up and say, you got to share that in the morning. And so um, the reason why I feel like I should share it is because it's so connected to this passage. I, I, reson I don't know that there's anybody in the room that lives this passage every week more than a pastor. And I know my motive in sharing this, and so I can share it with freedom. People were very, very gracious last week from the Easter message. A lot of gracious comments, a lot of, of things that were expressed that were deeply encouraging. But if you knew where I was middle of the week, you would praise God more than you are. In the middle of the week, I didn't have five loaves and two fish. I barely had crumbs. Every path I went down, dead end. Another path, dead end. Another path, dead end. I thought, I'm just going to get up there and say, he's alive. No, go home. Like, I thought that, that's, gonna, that's all I'm going to have. And I knew what God had laid on my heart. I, there, there was that message of, of life that he had given me. But, but every passage I went down, the door was shut. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the week saying, I can't do this. And then God comes in and says, right where I want you. I made you restless. Even though I'm for your rest, I made you restless on the week leading up to Easter. <laughs> to prove to you, Mr. Pastor, it's not about you, buddy. It's not about you, buddy. And I will keep you on this treadmill until you're exhausted enough to surrender. And I feel that way a lot of weeks. I know there's people in the room that you would agree to this. It's like sometimes you get to the end of the week and you're like, this sermon stinks. I hope you don't say that. I'm a, that's for me to say, not you. Stop it. 
and God feeds you. God feeds you. Trust me, trust me, trust me. The sermon you hear is better than the sermon I prepare. And we have to learn that lesson, not just in the life of a pastor, but in the life of any follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, maturity is not reaching independence. Maturity is reaching a greater dependence. And he will push you till you learn that. Watch what he does now, verse 41. Taking the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set it before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were what, faith family? Satisfied. Satisfied. I, I got to do this quick. The, the Greek here is uh, imperfect tense. You don't need to remember that other than it's continual action. Um, and, and so the, the, the best kind of piecing together we can do is uh, it seems to be that this is what's happening, that Jesus doesn't say, okay, uh, you know, uh, David Copperfield moment, poof, look at all this food, just like that. It's more likely that he hands it to the disciples or to a disciple and they go set it before the people and come back and Jesus hands them more and they go set it before the people and they come back, the continual action here. And, and, and I wonder if they're coming back saying, well, there can't be any more left. I know what we started with. And yet every single time they come back, they get more. And then they come back and they get more. In other words, here's, I think, what the point of the text is trying to show us, that the multiplying took place in the hands of Jesus. It was in his very hand as it was being given that there was more and more and more and more. Come on. Where do you feel inadequate today? What's that thing in your life that you're just like, I can't do it. I can't do this. Listen, the good news is you're right. The better news is he can. Is it your parenting? Is it your forgiving somebody that's hurt you? Is it leadership? Is it something in your finances? Is it being a Christian in this culture? What is it? And you're saying... I just want rest. When the truth is, you're never going to get that rest until you become restless enough to lay it in his hands. Would you do that today? No. It's at this point that they should start timing me. Everything else I've said up to this point should not count against my sermon time, okay? That's just, that's like the little sermon in the big sermon. It's the context, because what, what, I, what I wanted you to see, I, first of all, I wanted you to learn the lesson that the disciples learned, but I also wanted you to see this. The, the, the attitude, the approach of the multitudes is, let's take over, let's use force, let's conquer. And the attitude, mindset of the disciples is, let's fall back, let's give up, let's quit, enough, let's rest. And that in seeing that context, you would now, in full light, see the beauty of our Savior. Look how Jesus responds 
totally different than anybody else in the story. Verse 34 again. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now you by now ought to know what that great crowd means. And he had compassion on them. Now keep in mind that this again is coming right after the death of John the Baptist. If Jesus loved John the Baptist, if anything, Jesus had all emotional rights to say, not now. Paparazzi, get out of here. I'm hurting. But Jesus looks at this crowd and he has compassion for them. He genuinely cares for them. He, he, he doesn't just have it in attitude. He has it in action. That is, he feels for them. Like the email earlier, he, he knows what I'm going through. He understands me. He feels for me and he feeds me. He, he gives them spiritual food. The text says he taught them and he gives them physical food, that is fish and bread. You see, th this is what I love about Jesus. And remember, this is Jesus in all of his humanity. He is not annoyed. He is not irritated. Uh, he doesn't see them as an interruption on his messianic calendar. He has compassion on them. Do you see that side of your Savior this morning? Do you know what that means for you? It means this. All come in close, faith family, come in close. It means that you are not an annoyance to him. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I don't really want to pray about this. I don't really want to take this to God because, you know, he's busy and, and this is just a first world problem anyways. And then you begin to just kind of rationalize why you're not communing with Christ. And here's what I want to say to you. Listen, Jesus didn't die on a cross, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, become your high priest so that you could justify your lack of prayer by thinking he doesn't care. Hello, do you realize what he's done for you so that you can come to him? He's not looking at you saying, her again. Ugh. So tired of hearing this prayer request. Father, can't we just send her away? No, no, no. He sees you where you are, even with your false motives, crowd. And he has compassion on you. What a savior. But you know, that has implications for you. You hear today and you say, I want to experience Jesus every day. I, 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 my Monday, Tuesday, every day, I, I want to experience Jesus. Okay, watch, you experience Jesus every day when you show compassion to others. When you see this in your Savior and then you return that by showing compassion to others, you experience Jesus in those moments. You say, well, but I'm not Jesus. I'm glad you admit that. But you are to be conformed to his image. Listen, Jesus didn't come to conquer politically. He came to inaugurate a kingdom of compassion. Who is it? 
Stop right now. And who is it in your life that God is speaking to you right now saying, you need to show compassion to them? And in doing that, you will experience Jesus in the everyday. We don't just see in this text the compassion of Jesus. Quickly, we look at the generosity of Jesus. Look at verse 42. I love this. Verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Are you serious? Jesus doesn't just give. He gives with abundance. He doesn't just feed. He feeds them till they can't eat anymore. You say, well, how do you know they can't eat anymore? Because there's leftovers. Duh. And you realize this is a culture where there, Jesus has taught them to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because they don't know if they'll have bread tomorrow. In other words, it's a culture where you don't eat all you can eat. You eat enough to get by and hope you have more tomorrow. And so Jesus gives them something that many of them have never experienced before. That is an ability to eat until they can't eat any more. And then there are leftovers in a culture where you don't have doggy bags. There is no such thing as a doggy bag in the ancient Near East. In other words, what you see here is the extravagant generosity of our Savior. Here's what this means for you. Jesus will provide what you need. Jesus, some of you are here today and that's why you're here. You needed to hear me say that. He's going to provide what you need. It may not be what you want, but it'll be what you need. He may let you hunger for a while, but Jesus will feed you and it will satisfy your soul. But you know that has implications for you, from you. It's this, if you wanna experience Jesus in the everyday, then live generously, live generously. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Stingy Christians make Jesus look like stale bread. In fact, stingy Christian is oxymoron. It, you, it doesn't work. You, stingy Christian can't exist, amen? How can you close your cupboards when he's filled your stomach? I don't understand how, how Christians sometimes, my own heart included, mine. It's my money, it's my time, it's my possessions. Don't ever mention money, don't ever talk about giving, don't ever ask me to be generous. If I don't ever ask you to be generous, then I'm not asking you to be like Jesus. And I don't understand how we can see this side of our Savior and cling tight to all that he has fed us with. Because to be generous is to be human. You are created in the image of an extravagantly generous Savior. And if you want to experience him in the everyday, then start living generously. And you will experience your Savior in those moments. What is it in your life that you've hung tight to, that you've gripped tightly, and Jesus is saying, I want you to give. I want you to go that extra mile. I want you to give that extra thing to make a real difference in the lives of other people. Here's the last thing, is the salvation of Jesus. The salvation of Jesus. Why does Jesus do this 
multiplying of bread. And some of you are still, even four weeks into this, well, it's because he's God. And you're right, he is God. Eternally God, fully divine in this moment, but that's not what this is about. It's about his humanity. He has been showing us, as I've been trying to teach you, that he's the greater Adam, that this is Jesus in his humanity having dominion over the creation, and he's bringing us humans back to how we are supposed to live The reason he cleansed the temple, you were created to worship God. The reason he raises Lazarus is because you were created to live, not die. The reason why he feeds them is because according to Genesis 2, you were created to live under the provision of a loving God who will feed you and will feed you with abundance. In other words, he is showing just a glimpse of what it means to experience abundant life under God's provision. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Look at what Jesus does as we close. Look at what he does in verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. Blessing, broke. Blessing, broke. Blessing, broke. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that anywhere else? Like it sounds exactly like Mark 14, 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Jesus is foreshadowing with the multitude what he's going to do to mankind. He's not going to break bread. He will be broken. And he will die on a cross and he will rise from the tomb so that you could get back to being human again. So that you could get back to enjoying abundant life in God, that you would have your soul satisfied forever. That's how you get in. That's how you get back. You come to Jesus by faith. I've always loved the story of Babette's Feast. To think about how one person was willing to give so much just to impact somebody else's life. And the truth of the matter is, faith family, that that story is not just a picture of generosity, it's a picture of the very gospel. For the Bible says, while he was rich, he became poor, that we might be rich in him. Would you come to a feast today? the one prepared for you in Jesus Christ. Come, eat, believe, and maybe, just maybe, you'll experience something that you haven't experienced in a really long time. Satisfaction. Because whoever eats of this bread will never hunger again. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for 
helping us see just another side of our Savior. I pray that we would worship him, love him, have our affections stirred for him, to be absolutely amazed at his compassion and generosity towards us, of the salvation that we've been given in him. But then I also pray that this would be things that would overflow in our lives, that we would give compassion to others, that we would live generously, that, that we would share this salvation in a world that really doesn't know what it means to be fully human. So God, I pray that you'd meet us here in this moment, that you would speak to us today. God, if there's one here that does not know Jesus, that you would draw them by faith to come and eat of the greatest meal that's ever been offered, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Speak to us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.